You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Mino Line Media presents the Safe Conversations with Kelvin Waits podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Coach Kevin again, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits where we unpack things, we unpack stuff, we talk about our differences, uh, how we're alike, we talk about race, gender, sexual identity, just how we're different in general. Uh, and, and so the thing about this platform is it was created to invite everyone to sit around the campfire and just talk without being harshly uh, judged, without being ridiculed, without being shunned, understanding that it's all about respective and we all have our own. So I'm really excited uh, tonight to have on a special guest who's near and dear to my heart, and that is Miss Charlene Constanza. Welcome to the show. Hi, Calvin. Thanks for inviting me. I am so honored. I can't wait to talk, have a conversation with you. That's awesome. That's awesome. If you would, um, and I don't want to steal the thunder because I really want you uh, to share the story with the world and everybody that's listening, can you talk about how we met? about a year and a half ago. Uh, yes, and I would like to hear from your perspective too, because that's what it's all about. How did, how did you see it and hear it? But I hadn't been, been invited to be a guest on uh, an informational, inspirational uh, TV show. And I, it's, they suggested I watch a few episodes and I, after seeing a few, I thought, I don't think there's a good fit, except when I saw yours. I still decided it wasn't for me, but I thought I really want to talk to that guy. It was, I, you know, to tell you the truth, it isn't even so much now. I remember what you said, but something came across about your sincerity, your authenticity. I had a strong sense about your passion for what you were for justice, equality, caring about people. So I called you. I Googled, got your uh, phone number and um, left you a message. And a little shyly, because I thought, I don't know, even I didn't even want to expect anything from it. I just knew we should connect. And then later that day, um, you called me on your way home, driving home. And I think you have a little bit of a drive. And we talked and but really a connection happened right away. It did. And it was so awesome. Uh, I remember being out and about at the time I was the uh, police chief uh, with the city of Georgetown. And when I got back, my executive assistant say, uh, you had a phone call from a, from a young lady named Miss Costanza. I said, okay. And, uh, and I said, well, do you know, you know what she wanted? No, she just said she wanted to talk to you, but she was calling from Florida. And I thought to myself, okay, what's, what's this all about? And so I called you and um, I think we played tag back and forth for a little while. And, uh, and we finally connected on my way home. And, uh, and I got to tell you, Miss Costanza, I knew right away that we were somehow connected. I still don't even know how or why, but I do know that that we are supposed to be doing something good or for the good. Uh, and so I appreciate you for uh, being obedient to whatever came over you that made you call me that day. I really appreciate that. Well, me too. And I appreciate when those nudges happen. And apparently 
you know, what happened for you too, because you responded. And um, I, I appreciate how each still, there's still a lot of unknowns, but I know we share feelings about the equality of people, the value of everyone and how important it is that we have conversations and we find out, hey, we have common ground there. Um, you know, and things said, well, okay, I don't see it that way, but I like to say, well, help me, help me to see how you arrived at that. Help me to understand your perspective. And then hopefully the other person says to me, well, now share with me how you see things. Yeah. And I think that's so important. Uh, I think um, one thing that's lacking, uh, federal, state government, local government is communication. And I really believe that communication is the key to our survival. Right. Because we don't talk. We don't talk anymore. We we point fingers. We play the blame game and we we don't lead with humanity. Right. And what I mean is I think a lot of times we lead with politics or race or gender or disability. And at the beginning of the day and the end of the day, we're all human beings. And I think if we focus more on that, we would get and I'm not a politician. Don't want to be a politician. But if we focused on more of humanity, I just think we would get so much more uh, done. Uh, Miss Charlene, if you would, I know the great person that you are. I know the great things that you've done. Can you take a few minutes just to kind of tell us and let all the, the, the listeners know who you are and what you're all about? Um. Now, when I say I want to start from my childhood, I don't mean I'm going to tell my whole life story, but I do want to say something about childhood that is so related to our feelings of similarity and differences, how we connect. It's something that um, has affected just my whole life. And I, a way that I felt different as a child is um, I my neighborhood was all one family and two family um houses and I, there was a small apartment house and I lived in that and just like that alone I, I what my point is that I think subtle differences when we learn when we're children can really they affect which way we're going and um, I realized Calvin that I have gone on a way I don't know where I'm going on a tangent here I want to come back to telling you I'm an author maybe maybe that's what I should have said um, I love that this is going to be edited um, well, I, the reason why I went there, though, is that my writing is very much my passion. I, did, I had a lot of small jobs over the years, and I try to find, love what I'm doing anywhere. But, and I know you're, one of your mottos is like, every day is a great day, something like that. See, we are so connected in so many ways. Uh, but all my work is about um, everyone feeling, feeling valuable. And my first book... I felt so passionate about it that I published it myself and my husband and I moved into a motor home. We traveled around the country and I didn't care if I made money. I hoped that I would make break even, but I read that in schools, shelters, prisons, hospitals, it's only 500 words, but it was probably as I, I'm still enjoying life very much at age 73, but I then, that was 20 years ago, was such a peak time in my life because I was living my my passion, my mission. And um, the book eventually got a lot of attention. I even got, um, was invited to, on the Oprah Winfrey show, it didn't air, but um, the book won a lot of awards and sold very well. And then the 
big publishing houses started calling me and having interest in the book. Everything I do comes down to that essential thing I was going to say in childhood is that everybody is worthy. So my books, my speaking, anything I do is, that's my desire. Just yours is, you know, we're so closely aligned, related, but mine is if everybody hears you are valuable and they, they don't just hear it, they, they get it in their gut, in their heart, I think then we would all connect better to realize, hey, I'm valuable and you're valuable. That's where I'm Absolutely. <laughs> okay. And so I want you to understand again, Ms. Charlene, that, you know, the name of this platform is Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits. And, you know, I used to listen, I used to be around a lot older folks when I was a kid and they would say things. And one of the things that they would say is, you can't tell a story without telling a story. You see what I'm saying? Like you, so feel comfortable, kick your shoes off, relax. I mean, and just feel free to, to tell a story, however it comes across and, and whatever you want, you know, the listening viewers to, to hear. So award-winning books. And, and I was going to ask you, even before you brought it up, I, I read your bio today just to refresh my memory on everything uh, about you. And I want to know from you about that 48 state trip. I am certain that, that, that even from that experience, and it took close to a year, correct? Yes, it was a year. We didn't live in another home. I didn't have another home base then. The RV was our home. I'll tell you, that was a powerful thing because then I felt like wherever we were, that's where I lived. I was a part of a community for that day or a couple of days. And I'd go to a school and children would say, where do you live? And I'd say, right here tonight. And, you know, point to the RV. And that's every way that we connect with one another. And we feel, you know, this commonality is so enriching and powerful. And we need, that's what we need more of. But yes, we had a lot of challenges on it. A lot of flat tires almost went under a, you know, come to bridges where the clearing was lower than the RV or, you know, lots of adventure. And, uh, but all of it wonderful. And the best thing was meeting people in the lower 48. I flew to Alaska also. Um, at the end of that tour, I had a major life challenge. I was diagnosed with uh, advanced cancer. But also the same day that I felt a lump in my throat, I had a call from an agent telling me she wanted to represent me to sell the book. I, I did want to mention, because it's, it's this is not about my success as an author, but I will tell you that as a result of working with um, a spirit of service, a labor of love, visiting all those places. And the, the, the thing was to, um, yeah, I wanted to sell books, but I wanted to get that message across, you are valuable. And I want to come back to how I think that was effective. But um, the book was then, 10 publishers were interested. It was auctioned and I did very well with it. And HarperCollins uh, purchased the book. And then I published other books after that. So uh, main thing that I like to do, even in especially talking with children, is encouraging them that you are gifted and talented. You're going to have dreams. Your dreams matter. And you're needed in the future to make a difference. You know, pay attention to what you love to do. I can tell you're really passionate about what you're saying. So two things rung out to me. Number one, I know how impactful and how powerful it is for uh, grownups to speak positivity to young people. Um, you know, I've told you about my background in the past. Um, you know, I grew up in Harlem, New York, in the projects and lived there till I was 10. 
And uh, at one point in my life, I didn't have any hope. I didn't believe my life was going to amount to anything. And I had an aunt. She she had to be. From the time I was born, she was older. You know what I'm saying? That'll give you an idea of how old she was. But she was so wise. And, and I remember her saying to me one day, she says, Kevin, she looked me straight in my face. You are going to be somebody one day. She said it. And my parents would say it over and over and over. My dad, who only had a sixth grade education, he would say, Kevin, the sky's the limit. You can do anything. When I wanted to quit, he would push. You know what I'm saying? When I wanted to give up, he would push. So I know how, you know, the work that you talked about doing with the young people and in the prisons and giving people hope, that's a big deal. That That is really a big deal. And the other thing I wanted to touch on is you mentioned the word service and people don't understand. And I, and I learned, um, you know, after I got out of the military, I started a career in law enforcement in 1997 and I really learned what service was, you know, and service was more than just, uh, locking up the bad guy or writing tickets. You know what I mean? Service was realizing that if mom, uh, stole pampers from Walmart, it wasn't because she was just trying to get over it's because she didn't have the money and she needed to provide for her parents. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry about that. Service meant that if, you know, a, a young lady came to the police department upset and crying and hysterical because her baby passed away and she didn't have enough money uh, to buy a headstone, service meant that as a police chief in the police department, we would raise that money to help her get what she needed to give her kid a proper burial. So, you know, service to me, and, and, and you said the word and it, and it just stuck me real quick. When you, when you, when you truly serve and you're in a posture of service, we don't have the luxury to pick and choose who we serve, right? It's not about black. It's not about white. It's not about how much money you have. True service is really about humanity. It really goes back to humanity. Uh, so I appreciate you for making those two points. Uh, I got a question for you. And so uh, the question is, how has being different or how has race impacted your career? I'm not sure how much race has. Um, I feel certainly I've, I know I have some prejudices when people say I don't have any. That's you know, we all have some prejudgments, but. I grew up in a very mixed ethnicity, colorful religion, every the kind of foods and everything in New Jersey. And I love that. I love diversity. And but that feeling of being different, I think can you can look at it in any way. A child can have be very short, or tall or heavy, whatever, but anything that comes down to where we feel different, especially lesser. That's what I think is really important. And I think because I had that feeling when I was young and I was always a real sensitive child. Then I, I remember reading the um, Sleeping Beauty story, being young and hearing about a princess getting these presents, royal thing, and that wasn't material. The book I read, it was a talent and she could do this and that. And I remember, and she had virtue, there were virtues. And I remember feeling well, can't I, don't I, don't all children deserve this? I had that feeling of yearning and wanting that for myself and everyone really as a young child. And that's what my book says. 
the once upon a time is telling everyone that the fairy godmothers, the royal, they want all children. They to have this. So that has very much, I mean, that little thing of being different in ways. Um, I didn't have a sibling. My mother worked. I, you know, there were these differences where I felt apart in some ways. Um, and then I was alone when all my friends would all have siblings. And so I spent a lot of time, I guess, thinking and, uh, and caring very much about wanting myself and everyone to have I guess the respect and that—that uh, that was the seed for everything I did, everything I have done since then. And of course, it's grown. I had an experience. Um, I think this kind of leads into another question you might possibly have, and that is, what about an experience I had that maybe I learned something about this whole issue, or I affected other people in their thinking about race and differences. And this was very impactful thing that I, in fact, I tell people the story as a teaching kind of thing. I had just moved um, with my husband and children to a town in um, small, small town. And that is primarily two ethnicities. So there were not a lot, but very different from what I grew up in. And people were mostly Italian or Swedish. And I was working on the census and I'm going to door to door and I, uh, being having blue eyes and light hair, people assumed I was Swedish. And um, I remember one family, an extended family, and they were very cordial. And then the gentleman, the older man said, do you have to go into any Italian homes? Now, my last name is Costanzo. Now, there should be a little hint there. <laughs> so, and of course, I was supposed to not respond in any personal way, emotional way. My job was to just get my information. So I just, I was pretty stunned, first of all, because then he went on to say, oh, they smell like garlic. And this, he went on and on about how loud and they talk with their hands. And, and I was stunned, just stunned. And I felt something in my heart, in my gut. And it wasn't even about me, but like, you're talking about my people. And my family, I live in one of those houses. And the empathy, I guess that that just, it wasn't just then and about me. It was about whenever we do that sort of thing. When you make a judgment about a person's culture and you and you demean them like that. When I left there, I cried. I, I just cried. I thought they, they seem such nice people and I'm sure they don't think they're have prejudices, but you see, I was judged as not that, not not the people I live with. Uh, that has affected me. And sometimes when I tell that story, I tell it as to show, like if we're having a conversation about whether people, different colors, creed, anything, just about what it's like when we make judgments. And I don't know, I just think giving examples that way is more powerful than actually having that academic or the spiritual, the whatever, it's the storytelling that we go, aha, we have to have those ahas. When we were talking about children getting this message or really anyone getting it, one of the most powerful things I did on that trip throughout the country was at the end of reading my little book that takes only five minutes to read. And because it was once upon a time, you heard a story, I didn't say directly to anyone, you are valuable, you're talented, the story does that. But at the end, at the very beginning, I tell them that I'm there. I wrote it for my own children first to always know they're valuable. I'm here 
because I want you to know that. Then I read the story at the end. I say, well, who feels valuable now? All the hands go up because they've talked about their strengths. They were sharing examples. And then um, I say, but then I have a fishbowl filled with stones, uh, polished stones and one plain rock. And I said, but you know, sometimes we all feel kind of like this plain old worthless rock. Sometimes people live, you know, rock gets kicked around. We get kicked around in life. But when a rock is tumbled and polished, they ha- look at how beautiful and colorful they are. We're all like this inside. And look at the rocks. They're all different colors and shapes and sizes. We are like those beautiful stones. They're beautiful. They're strong. And then I give everybody a stone. And to tell you the truth, that little thing, I think, made more of an impact on thousands of children than even the story. Hearing about the rocks wow. and taking getting their stone, taking an abstract thing and having a physical thing to hold on to. That is, that is really awesome. So let me ask you this. Did you write a lot as a kid? I love to doodle. I, I drew and I painted and I wrote, you know, but nothing, I never expected to be a, a writer and I, I don't have any training. Awesome. I read in your, in your bio that as a child, you love flowers and the different weeds and, you know, so tell me, tell me about that. Oh, behind that little, uh, yeah, I love nature. Um, Behind that apartment house, when I first lived, there was a little picket fence. I saw it years later. It's unpainted, kind of not in good shape, not maintained. And the little patch of grass there is uh, weeds. But you know, when weeds bloom, they're they're wildflowers. I love when I drive along highways and, and you see those wildflowers. And again, they're all different shapes, colors, and sizes. Yeah, I, I always felt the strength of them, the how they just grow between sidewalks. When I would see a weed flower growing between sidewalks cracks, I felt like, yay, you. That is so awesome. So let me ask you this, Miss Charlene, and I can't help but call you Miss Charlene. You just have to okay, deal with me later. I can't okay, help Okay, coach, it. we got a deal. <laughs> uh, so you're an award-winning uh, author. You, you've traveled the States. I'm sure you've traveled the world. You've been around. And, and so I guess what I'm trying to ask is being on that level, being on that status, um, you know, uh, achieving that those goals and objectives. How has being an award winning author helped you to or give you a platform to stand up for people and, and stand up for differences and stand up for justice in general? That's a really good question, Calvin, because I'm feeling like I, I want to do more. And I listen carefully to what is calling for, uh, for me to do. And I think that the biggest thing is to walk my talk and be mm-hmm. kind, um, treat everyone as, see each individual, you talked about humanity, seeing the one person, as Mother Teresa said, seeing the Christ in each person, no matter who they are, what they look like, look in someone's eyes, use their name. I feel that the biggest impact, and it brings me the most joy, is to do those things. I'd love to have a larger platform and be able to um, not not preach or not try to, I guess, let it happen, bring out what naturally is there. I believe there's so much goodness in every person. So I I just want to love everybody. Oh, yeah, I guess sometimes I write letters or I donate to causes, but I've done, used my voice in the small ways. I still use my fishbowl. I have 
polished stones in my purse and a little baggie. If I'm on an airplane with somebody, I'll tell them this. So I'm, I'm kind of a quiet um, influencer that way. But that's a big deal because, you know, I don't think we have to be political to make a big splash mm -hmm. or make a big difference. Uh, it, when I when I became the police chief in my city, I was the first African-American police chief in the existence of the city. And, you know, I was me and my wife were talking one night about it. And she said, well, how does that make you feel? And I said, well, I feel to a certain degree a slight burden. You know what I mean? I said, but. I don't want to be known as the first African-American police chief. I want to be known as one of the best police chiefs this community ever had. And, you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways. And when I was hired, it was never said in the media. It was never said in the paper. And I really think in a strange way, because of that, I was able to bring the community together. Nobody felt threatened. I was able to, to work, not politically, but I was able to work across both sides of the aisle with everybody and bring people together. So, you know, to your point, I don't believe uh, we, we need to be uh, political or on CNN or Fox to really have an impact on people. One of my favorite sayings is don't just be good, be good for something. And Miss Costanza, I'm here to tell you, you are good for something. So you keep on giving those rocks away. You keep on telling young people that they are valuable. And I'm telling you, something's going to happen. You just keep on doing the work because you're doing it. You're out here living it and you're doing it. So uh, I'm, I'm excited and I'm happy for you at the same time. Thank you so much, Kelvin. So let me ask you this. What do you think, in your opinion, that parents should be teaching their young people about uh race and our biases. And you mentioned earlier that and you said it. Um, I know I have prejudice and we all have biases in us, all of us. Mm -hmm. uh, and the sooner that we realize that as a community, the better off we'll be. And then once we realize that we can use that other word that you, you tapped on earlier, which was empathy, right? Mm -hmm. We can really sit down and make an attempt to feel and see what someone else is seeing. And the strange thing about empathy, Ms. Charlene, that I learned is that you may not always reach the mark in terms of understanding how someone feels, right? But if you know that I tried, right, mm -hmm. we can build something from there. We can build trust. And, 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 and so empathy is a very, very powerful thing. Very powerful thing. You want to say something? I want to ask you a question. Hear your opinion of something that I have. I do sometimes. Uh, I feel, I feel so strongly um, about people, as I've said, who are treated lesser, you know, uh, not valuable, and about the brutality things against, uh, you know, the things that have happened to dark-skinned young men. I have said to people, if I had, you know, if I were a mother and I, you know, I, I had a teenage boy who was dark-skinned, I the fear that I would have, and I, I mean, I tried. Yeah, I'm going on a tangent here to make, to make my point, but I have sometimes approached a nudge. I listened to that nudge, so I guess it's okay. But um, so an older man who is black and said, you know, and I tell him I'm, I feel awkward, but I want to say something to you. 
I, I want to just apologize and acknowledge all the times that you were not treated with the dignity, the respect that you deserve. I'm sorry. I, you deserve to be respected, right? Something like that, I say. And I feel awkward and I feel, but, and I don't just, I don't do it unless my heart has been opened. And I just want to look at that one human being and say something to them different way than I do with my stones and everything, but to say, you know, I want to say, I see you, I hear you, I value you, and I'm sorry for all the times you weren't treated that way. Does that, because some people have told me that's kind of another way of prejudice or something. I don't see it that way. I don't, I don't see it that way either, uh, Miss Charlene. The way you articulated that and presented it to me just now uh, impacted me. I mean, it made me think about the fact that here I am, you know, someone who's been in the United States Army. I've served in law enforcement for 24 years. I retired as a police chief, but I have a 25-year-old son. And from the time he got his permit up until today, I talked to him about interactions with law enforcement and, and, and how he should act and how he shouldn't escalate. And I tell him certain things, you know, everything I tell him is is him so so that he can survive whatever he's going through, whatever, you know, situation he's in. I talk to him and, and train him. Just get back home. Just get back home. So as you talked about that, it, it really made me it hit close to home and made me think about my son. So I don't, I don't think uh, and I think it makes a difference. It makes a difference. Um, so, no, I, I applaud you for doing that, not just because it makes you feel good or not just because you think it's the right thing to do. But just like you reached out and called me when you knew absolutely nothing about me, when you feel a nudge, I think you should follow through. Thank you. And uh, I have had one thing I've been somewhat, um, I don't know if it's my position as an author, but whenever anybody says that uh, Black Lives Matter, they say, well, all lives matter. I do ha uh, start a discussion because it, I mean, I, I just feel very strongly that yes, all lives matter, but we have to say, but anyone who says we need to say this matters and that matters. And I've, I've heard people, but that doesn't mean you lump it all together. It's time that people stand up and say, I matter, my life matters. So um, I just, that's one thing, I guess one of my pet peeves or it troubles me when I hear, oh, why don't, why don't they just say all lives matter? We need to get to the point of valuing all lives. And one way to do that is to say, uh, just like I've heard people say, child, uh, to say childhood cancer, we're raising for this or for that, you know, the separations. It's because you do it for each thing. Um, you know, I want to make two um, other points, if I may, that are really important yeah, please. to me. One is when I started uh, reading my book and talking about the 12 gifts of birth, the gifts that all children get when they're born. And I sometimes use the word special. Every child needs to know he's special. And a, a, a Head Start teacher said, suggested that valuable, using valuable instead. And I got that right away. Because when we say someone is special, you're told you're special, there's a, an apart, like you're set apart from someone. And, and then there were Sometimes people think, well, every child has to know that they win at this. Or the thing is, if everybody's special, nobody's special. But if everybody is valuable, 
everyone is valuable and we gain so much from that you know that that distinction the other is i reacted early on i remember when i heard teaching tolerance and i thought yeah okay teach but i got wanted to hurry through tolerance to acceptance to respect to something even beyond that this is right but maybe very idealistic but that we have do i dare say like a reverence for people more than just, okay i tolerate you oh i accept you but to be kind of in awe of another human being when that happens even momentarily and i think we need to be cultivating that in our families with our spouses how we are with elder elder people and i don't think it's just yeah it's holding doors opening saying oh miss charlene calvin i like you so much <laughs> coach my coach um, but it's you know it's what's in your heart that's what it is and so you talked about service when it's in your heart that you want to do service it can be you can be doing service cleaning the kitty's litter box anything you do can be done in a spirit of service and you know then it's not even so icky there's like love involved absolutely and uh you were so awesome i thank you for sharing that so i got one more question for you miss charlene and the question is you've written nine books correct yes nine books and so number one what is your favorite book that, that you've written number one and there's two parts to this question and the second part is which one of your books really speaks to the current situation uh, as it relates to diversity culture and race uh -huh. in our country today okay i'm going to answer the second question first and maybe um, of the books I wrote, my first and the la and the most recent, I'm not going to say last, are m most important to me, but the last one is The Twelve Gifts from the Garden, uh, Life Lessons for Peace and Well-Being, because from the garden, I see the diversity it applies today so much. Um, there are a lot of stories in there that speak to being willing to see things differently, to shift perspective, to have ahas and realize, oh, that wasn't the way I first saw it. And one of the things that especially I, I, I is in there, uh, an example of the diversity is trees. I love trees. Lots of people love trees. Well, I'm fascinated with the bark of trees. I mean, some are smooth, some have texture, some, they're different shades. They're all sort of shades of browns, though, just like we are. Nobody's white, white, you know, we're, we're all really shades of one thing. And we're so fascinated with the beauty of the bark of trees that that's just an example of I me. Mean, why can't we we do be that way with people? And you know what? The bark of trees is the skin of trees, literally. Wow. I mean, and it's thin, but it protects them. Bark of trees are so much like us and na nature is. So I'm really all about that going from acceptance to respect to reverence for all things. And that doesn't mean bow on your head, you know, that kind of, you have to go to a church to be reverent. And it means more like the meaning in there of having awe and wonderment. That's the other thing. If we could all keep some of the things we had as children, little children don't say, oh, you're, you're this or that, you're different. They just read each other, want to play, and are fascinated with the wonder of creation, beauty of rain, the 
you know, lightning bugs. And um, I just love to see how children, uh, how alive their sense of wonder is. And I think it was Einstein said, all things begin in wonder. Um, that's another thing we have to not be so, uh, just lose the awe and the appreciation for life, for people, for humanity. Stir that up, ignite that. Stir it up, <laughs> stir it up. I like that. And I think that's what we're doing here tonight, Miss Charlene. We're stirring it up. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we're going to go ahead and close out in a, in a minute. But I do want to give you an opportunity to talk about anything you may be coming up or how listeners can find your books or find out more about you. Well, I would appreciate going to my website at charlenecostanzo.com. I have a, several Facebook pages. One that I think uh, anyone can relate to, it's called Today's Touchstone. And each day there is a message about one of the 12 gifts. I didn't get to say those earlier, but it's strength, beauty, courage, compassion, hope, joy, talent, imagination, reverence, wisdom, love, and faith. And that's where that ties in also with, well, first, there's something about that so that you kind of get in touch with that within you, hope. I'm doing a lot with hope these days, but when I was talking about every child knowing that they're valuable too, it's it's to know that whether how much money or the color of anything, your creed, where your what makes you valuable is what's on the inside, and that's where there is such richness in our inner strength, and that's what I hope if, if parents could, we could not only talk about it, teach, but show our children. Like that, your aunt did for you. That's wonderful. And your your dad, your mom saying, you can do anything. Um, I think that was telling you about your inner courage, your strength. And I'm finding that people are responding more to that these days. People are needing to hear what I'm hearing from the response in today's touchstone, hearing that you are valuable, you have courage, you have strength, hope, you have hope. And not, not just to say it through, you know, through an... Um, because of things we learn experientially. All right. Well, you are so awesome. I thank you so much for coming on today. I thank you for having a safe conversation with me. I think sometimes people get it twisted and think that safe means soft, right? And I can tell that even as we talk today, you got a little emotional, you know, having these safe conversations isn't always an easy thing. So I want to end by thanking you so much for coming on and asking you, would you come back? I would love to come back. Thanks for giving me a chance to say one more thing. You know what? Water is soft. I mean, and it's silky, it's soft. We can be like water, but water can wear down mountains. Water is yes. tough. So mm. that's how we can be soft and strong. Soft and I, and strong. I hope to join you again. Thank you so much. And good luck, blessings and all in your work, Calvin. Well, thank you again, Miss Charlene. And I want you to know this. You are valuable. <laughs> you are valuable. And I appreciate the work you're doing. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining Coach Kevin on Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits. We'll see you next time. The Safe Conversations with Kelvin Waits podcast is hosted and produced by Kelvin Waits. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find the Safe Conversations with Kelvin Waits podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, Tune in, Odyssey, 
Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast. Find Kelvin Waits on Facebook at Kelvin Waits. Join the Safe Conversation group to continue the conversation. Follow the Mean Old Line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mean Old Line Media. Get the Mean Old Line Media app in the App Store or Google Play. The Safe Conversations with Kelvin Waits podcast is a Mean Old Line Media production. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.